John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed Omnibus Addenda, Volume 37, Entry 987.RU0310. Are you 0310? I believe I am. Certificate number 52488. The Princeton Incident. What is RU? Russia. That's what I'm... Oh, it's Ruth. I guess it's giving it away. Mm. People who have listened to the... If you subscribe to the Patreon, you understand what the code letters mean, right? Yeah. You better. Or either that or you have zero curiosity. Well, here's a hint. The RU is Ruth. This is a kind of an old show, but we heard from a listener named Brian who actually lives in Princeton, New Jersey. Okay. The Princeton incident, if you recall, has nothing to do with Princeton. It takes place on a boat called the USS Princeton that had a massive gunnery explosion that killed a couple cabinet members and nearly the president of the United States. This is an episode that aired right around the 4th of July. Oh, patriotic. The 5th of the July. Is it patriotic, though, if it's fireworks that are actually blowing up cabinet members? It didn't kill the president, so Yay! in that sense, very patriotic. Except it was John Tyler who later became a Confederate, Boo. the least patriotic president. Should have blown him up. Should have blown him up. Instead, it just got him laid, if you'll recall the ending of the show. Um but uh, Brian told us something I didn't know, which is that uh, be- I think because of the naming coincidence, one of the bells from the USS Princeton is on display in Princeton, New Jersey, like very close to the center of town, walking distance of downtown Princeton by the Princeton Battle Monument. And he sent us some pictures that we'll put up on the Patreon. How close to the Princeton Record Exchange, though? That's what I want to know. <laughs> so Brian sent us a picture of the bell from the Princeton which uh, a plaque notes is one of the very few relics left of the famous war vessel. The plaque says this bell was especially cast for the USS Princeton, which was commanded by our late fellow townsman. Oh, I guess back then the captain could just name the ship after his hometown. (laughs) The illustrious Captain Robert F. Stockton, under whose patronage the Princeton was built. Under whose patronage? Mm -hmm. So if you're in the Navy, you just like kick in some money and they'll build you a ship? Back then. That's that's how you get get to be a captain? That's Yeah, that's how he got his commission. Exactly. On February 28, 1844, she was taken for a pleasure trip down the Potomac River, having on board President Tyler uh, and his cabinet and other distinguished guests, invited by Captain Stockton. Boy, they're really uh, really centering their local boy, Mm -hmm. Captain Stockton, instead of the President of the United States. (laughs) Oh, Captain Stockton was there to witness the performance of the vessel and her machinery. 
One of the guns called the Peacemaker exploded, injuring many people, <laughs> among them Captain Stockman himself, and footnote, killing the Honorable Abel P. Upshur, Secretary of State. <laughs> But hey, was Captain Stockton okay? <laughs> By special invitation of Captain Stockton. I'm getting kind of sick of Captain Stockton. Yeah, I don't want to hear about him anymore. <laughs> although, although, it's interesting, the main drag in Princeton is called Stockton Street. Oh, it must be after him. Haven't they supplied more gifts to America than... Who, the Stocktons? The Princetons. Oh, the Princetons. Why isn't it Einstein Street or Woodrow Wilson Street? Right. Really? I don't think Stockton? There, uh, there's a Paul Robeson Street. See, that's pretty good. Is he from there? Did he go to Princeton? Well, I have, I, I really have no idea. <laughs> and, and don't care to look it up. <laughs> See, this is how institutional racism operates, that's John. Right. We're, not, we're just going to not look up, did Paul Robeson go to Princeton? Did you know, Paul I am. Robeson. Go ahead. Do it. I know that, I know that the University of Washington uh, Huskies... Yes. Uh, crew team beat Princeton yeah. in, before the uh, before the 1938 Olympics. Did Paul Robeson go there to there, Princeton? Yeah, well, there's a Robeson house there. Oh, he grew up there. He went to Rutgers. Oh. He went to Rutgers nearby. Um, but you can visit his childhood home there, which has a lot about his many achievements. Oh, he went to Columbia Law School. 1936 so he, Olympics, I'm sorry. He oh. is an Ivy Leaguer, but, but not at Princeton. Suck at Princeton. Um, <laughs> And uh, this is my favorite thing. The only, pretty much the only reason why I'm reading this entry is because Brian reassures us for, after taking a picture of this plaque. For what it's worth, the omnibus entry was more interesting than the plaque. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Well, well, I would hope so. More interesting than the plaque. I mean, people choose to listen to this show. Have you ever Have you ever uh, been to a plaque where you're like, "Hey, I'm just going to look at this for 45 minutes"? <laughs> I think I think when I went to uh, uh, the. The uh, Plymouth Rock, I stood and stared at it for a long time, but I don't in, know if I read the plaque. In disappointment. Were yeah. you hoping it did something every few minutes, like, like Old Faithful? Come on, or, get uh, Roll I, over. I have a friend, I don't know if I've said this on the show, but he's uh, he loves plaques, plaques at um, at wetlands, informational plaques at, at wetlands. Oh, I do too. All the ones with the little birdies. They always show, yes, here's a, and there's always a circle of life showing the birds, uh-huh. feed the frogs, which feed the plankton which feed the rabbits and the circle continues uh he always sends me a picture because they're always the same it's always like this is a rich network of life they're always teeming with things yeah they're teeming yes. they're fragile yes they're it's a web of life and they're always the same and so every time he sees one he sends them to me so my phone is full of these stupid pictures of of wetlands <laughs> placards it's like Vic burger has people send uh, pictures of those uh, places where you stick your head through a piece of plywood oh, and you those. look like an old farmer. <laughs> Please send us all your wetland plaques. Ed, but you must point out that omnibus is more interesting than each. I will. I will note that uh, that the battle monument is on Stockton Street. Is it good? Have and, you been? Well, no, but I have been to the. I, I mentioned the Princeton Record Exchange, mm-hmm. which is only. What six blocks up Stockton from the Battle Monument? Although it's on Tulane Street. Tulane. Uh, yeah, it's weird. I know. We're a college town. Let's name things after other colleges. Well, the one block over is One Lane. <laughs> Entry one one seven zero dot e z two two one eight. Certificate number two four seven eight nine. Slag. I did one of my old shows, so I have to do one of your old shows. Yeah, because otherwise you get a little you get a little petulant. Well, I'm like, but this was You're a little churlish. This was the show the same week as the Princeton incident. Oh, is that right? Yeah, that's just two days later. Equal time. You got to give equal time. That's right. Both sides. We heard from Cole, who had a nice little uh, 
Northwest slags, right? I think other people sent us in their own Northwest slag finds, but this one's pretty, pretty good. Uh, there is a pretty famous golf course in Montana, which he counts as the Northwest. What do we think about that? Old Works in Anaconda, Montana. Uh, yes, Anaconda. I've it's been close to, to the many times. That's the we've talked about Anaconda and Anaconda Mine here on the uh, on the show. The Anaconda Mine don't want none. Uh, probably because it's mined out. Whether or not you have buns, hun, it's in western Montana. If it's yeah. if, you know if it's west of Pocatello or Idaho Falls, does that count as the Northwest? Because Missoula would certainly be the Northwest, right? We uh, we think I, what, or does the Idaho border the uh, this is the the mountain what are those the sawtooth what's that border uh, sawtooth they would I think Montana would call themselves the Mountain West but I think Missoula is culturally part of the North I feel like our the Northwest radio music shows on KEXP will play Missoula music for sure well the Decembrists are Missoula music. Uh, that counts. But well, it's a, except they got Portlanded in. They did. Right. Bend is Western Oregon, clearly. Pendleton is Eastern Oregon. I guess Pendleton's east of Bend. Quite by quite a bit. But uh I mean the thing I, about Bend, I guess, is central central Oregon. Would they call it the mountain west of Oregon? I mean the thing about Anaconda's outside Butte, which is pretty much due north of a you know, pretty much core mountain west cities, including yeah, Salt Lake. But, you know, it's the same. It's the same longitude as Salt Lake and Phoenix, but it's just further up. No one in Butte would call themselves part of the Northwest, but well, people in people in Missoula might. Well, Cole, the author of this letter, considers that uh, as Northwesterners will be interested in this note from Anaconda, which has Montana's finest golf course, designed by no less than Jack Nicklaus. Can't be true. What, we, what would you say Montana's finest golf course is? <laughs> I don't know, but it can't be an anaconda. There's nothing in anaconda. There must be. No, this must be some This must be some destination resort if it's got a Nicholas course. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah, the town itself is, I mean, we should go there by the town. Uh-huh. And then. Like, like uh, Bruce Willis did in whatever, Haley. Yeah, yeah, and then you could be mayor and I could be sheriff. I don't golf. Oh, well, I don't either, but we could. I don't know. We could set it up half the town. Oh, no, no. Half the town would be like the Ken half. Yeah. Which would be all moral and, you know, like painted pastel. It's got a really good independent bookstore. And then across the street would be like the seedy, like red light district. You hear piano saloon. Yeah. And that'd be the John side of town. And we could just, I don't know. It'd be great. I feel like your people are still going to be coming over to my side on Wednesday to pick up their comic books. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But, you know, they'd come over to a tone. But I bet your people would sneak over across the street to my side. On Friday night. Yeah. Drink Diet Dr. Pepper. You got better taco trucks over there. The reason why he mentions this particular golf course is because they filled the bunkers at this course with black copper slag from the old smelting plant from, from Anaconda's mining days uh so it's got this weird black sand that doesn't really look like any sand you'll ever see in nature does it behave differently as a sand trap that's a good question uh he notes the problem with the color which is golfers are often in white shoes and then your shoes are just going to go through it if you he uh he says he wishes he golfed it in 2004 and he wishes he had worn black shoes and socks I mean, the sand kind of kills the ball anyway, no matter what happens there. I don't know if it's harder to chip out of slag or not. Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily cover it with arsenic. Golfers who have slag experience, let us know. 
Do you have to use a different sand yeah, wedge? Do you have a, is there a sand wedge and a slag wedge? Uh, this. What the hell? That never happens. No, there's like a weird submarine noise from your phone every show. <laughs> no, I'm not going to answer that. Although the person calling, Trevor Mitchell, is from Billings, Montana. Have him pick up and uh, tell him, ask him if it's in the Northwest. Hey, Trevor. Yeah. Um, I'm here with Ken Jennings. We're uh, in the middle of a podcast. And uh, Sorry. no, no, no. We need to consult you on something. Hi, Trevor. Uh-oh. Ken says wow. hi. Uh, <laughs> Trevor, we're trying to figure out is Montana. Oh, what, did he just hang up? He's like, I got to go. <laughs> he can't hang up. I'm calling this. Su- oh, here he goes. He's calling me back. Here's what we're trying to figure out. Is Montana the Northwest? Absolutely. It's the, it's the West. Well, okay, but, but is it the Northwest? Where does the Northwest stop? Is Missoula the I Northwest? Think, is Butte? Mm-hmm. You know, I think the Northwest actually might stop at Idaho. What do you think, guys? St- I line. think the Northwest might stop at Idaho. We, we were I thinking that it went as far as Missoula but no further. I don't even think, actually, I take it back. I don't think it goes even to the Montana border. So you're saying that it stops at the fish inn? I think if you went to Missoula and say to people, are you in the Northwest or are you in the West? I think they'd say, of the United States, meaning, you know, they'd say, no, we're in the West. Northwest, that's all those jerks, all those liberals out in Washington and Oregon. But they're going to say that in Idaho or in Eastern Oregon. They're going to say that in Wenatchee. <laughs> All right. Well, we're we're hard at work here, Trevor. But thank you for the uh, Montana uh, insight. And and uh, look, make sure you look for this show when you make your Patreon donation to the Omnibus Project. All right, man. All right. Take bye. it easy. Wow. I have no idea what he wanted. I hope it wasn't important. And you really didn't give him a. Uh, but I'll call you back for whatever other important business you hope to discuss. No, there's a zero chance I'm going to call him back for what, unless he texts me and tells me what the heck he's calling me. Well, about. the canonical list of people who have now appeared on Omnibus now includes one of my kids, one of your kids, Trevor. <laughs> Is that it? Trevor Mitchell. Was it my mom ever? Did my mom ever? No. Amy Mann read a poem once. Mm-hmm. I was a little surprised. Right. Uh. That might be Mary it. Kobayashi, did she ever play the violin? She did. She, she played the violin. Right, but that doesn't does that count as talking? No, I guess not, but it is a guest it is a guest appearance. Should yeah. we, we should have her come over and play a Shokin farewell every time we do a Civil War show. Old <laughs> <laughs> plaintive fiddle. Uh I miss you. I think Cole also wants to point out that uh the slag in the bunkers comes from the anaconda, the, the the smelting plant there has the stack that is now still the largest surviving masonry structure in the world. We have talked about this on the show. 555. Yeah, we, when? I can't remember. Was it when, in Slag? When we, when we did the anaconda is the tallest uh, masonry <laughs> stack in the world show. Yeah, the show is rarely a complete sentence, but that time we were like, hey, why, why not? Has we, there ever been an omnibus where the title is a complete sentence? Hmm. Like, uh, you know, it could be like a, um, you know, up with people is close. Yeah. It's a prepositional phrase. The murder of Herbert Lee had a, um, has a prepositional phrase in it. But maybe the closest thing is why is a mouse when it spins? Yeah, but, which, I, but that can't count because Which is a full question. Nonsensical. 
But it's still a sentence. That's not how you just, you don't determine whether something's a sentence or not based on how sensible it is. <laughs> uh, do you not? <laughs> I vote Republican. Well, that's not a sentence. Oh, here we go. The what all, is a mouse when it spins? The all Americans go to Japan was a complete sentence. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I think that I just did that because of the bad bears, the bad news bears go to Japan. It, it really doesn't have, nobody has ever called that. That was just a hat tip? That was a, that was a cultural reference? Yeah, I don't think anybody has ever called it. The, when those when Babe Ruth and those guys went, I don't think anybody ever called it the All Stars go to Japan. I'm looking and I do not see another. Now is the is case. the golf course the old Works Golf Course? Is that what he was saying? Yes, it's right in the center of Anaconda, and I was just there a couple of years ago. And you didn't golf, and I went. I went up and down and up and down because I wanted to see the whole town of Anaconda. Anaconda because it's one of those where it's like. Oh, the streets headed west or one way, and then the streets headed east or one way. So I, so I zigzagged all the way through the town, but the golf course was on the other side of town, and I didn't see it. The smelter stack still stands. It's now, it's now the Anaconda Smokestack State Park, also surrounded by slag. I can only imagine. I'm sure we talked about this. But no, did, on the Butte episode, I bet we talked about it. We well, talked, did we do a show about Butte? Yeah. The, we always uh, talk about how your mom thinks it's the uh, a, the anus of, of the West. Or yeah, something. don't keep saying that, though, because, you know, the people that live there are very nice people. It's a wonderful place. Um, no, the Berkeley Pit. We did the Berkeley, oh, the Berkeley, the Berkeley Pit. Pit. That's right. I must have talked about the Anaconda. That's probably stack. where we talked about this tech. But now we know where its slag is. It's uh, just off the fairways in the old works. Of course, thanks for letting us know, Cole. Just a coincidence that his name is Cole. <laughs> you think he's just you think he's just interested in burning things when your name is Cole? That's destiny. Maybe maybe he's a uh, sentient lump of coal this, and a time traveler. This is a new form of the Saper Wharf <laughs> hypothesis. You get you get very into homoph- things that are homophones of your name. Entry five nine one dot JB two four one six. Certificate number three nine six two three. Hobby tunneling. Oh, another John show. I expected that this show would generate 1,000 comments because so many futurelings really strike me as potential hobby tunnelers. It did on the Facebook page. I'm not sure if, um, maybe we discussed it on the last agenda. I can't remember. But I have here an email from Lindsay who has written to the show before. Uh, He's British. This is the problem. Uh, Lindsay. He sent us a book. He sent us a book that we didn't know who was from. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so now it's the time to credit him with sending us the My Word book by Muir and Norton. Oh, I don't know what that you. is. Is it still sitting here? It's got to be right there. Here's a Godzilla book. It's Here's a Suburban, Suburban Dictionary. Dictionary. Here's a Mr. T Annual. There's My War. It must be here Different, somewhere. It's an album. Oh, no, wait. There it is. No. What What, what is My War? Uh, My War is a... Is a uh, Henry Rollins record. <laughs> I don't think he sent us a Henry Rollins record. Well, so belatedly, I don't I mean, know what uh, Black Flag. I should say it's not not Rollins. It's Rollins era Black Flag. Well, uh, we did not mean to. Uh, I, I wish I could tell you which episode we are addendumming there, but now we know that Lindsay sent us this. He, at some point in a different show, we wondered what people from Luxembourg were called. And he says Luxembourgeois is something he's heard before. Oh. I, I don't know if that's right. Luxembourgeois? 
What Luxembourgeois. What about we the Luxem proletariat? <laughs> much better than the lumpen proletariat. They're, they're much more lux. Nicely done. And because of the hobby tunneling, he wanted us to know, have you ever heard of the Williamson Tunnels of Liverpool? No. I think that maybe this should be its own omnibus, so maybe we shouldn't get into it so much here. Apparently, uh, much of this, the Edge Hill neighborhood of, of uh, Liverpool is crisscrossed with these extensive tunneling system dug in the early 19th century by a local tobacco merchant named Joseph Williamson, and nobody knows why. Whoa, he was a hobby tunneler. He may have been a hobby tunneler. It, it could have been some kind of commercial quarrying that he was keeping on the down low for some reason. It may have been, he says, a philanthropic desire to provide employment, so he was hiring some of his guys to to do his hobby tunneling for him. Is that how the rich do hobby tunneling? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they just come every, one, every week and poke around. Or Wikipedia allows his own eccentric interests. They called him the Mole of Edge Hill. <laughs> is that right? I really got to know. I got to know everything <laughs> about him now. This is a good tip, Lindsay. Thanks for, thanks for letting us know about now we're, the Williamson we're, But tunnels. we're going to fight over who gets to talk about Joseph Williamson. We're going to have to wait a while. We can't do hobby tunneling upon hobby tunneling. What's the correct oh, interval right, I to wait? Yeah, when do, have we done that before where we've done a show and then we did a— The next a, day? No, a further show where we uh, were turned on to an example of that show that we hadn't uh, Probably. You know, I did a show the other day which has not come out yet, I think, for listeners, but—well, maybe it has. It's close. But I realized as we were doing it that we had covered much of the same material in your show about camel beauty contests. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I do that too, where I'm like, remember that show that I did before? Well, this show, what was the one that oh, just recently when I was talking about the, um, where I was talking about the moral rearmament society and then realized, oh, that really figured, oh, I was doing it with Bill W. And then it's like, also the underpinning of up with people, a listener suggestion. Entry 363.HE1017, certificate number 28975, Dissociative Fugues. In this entry, uh, there was a bit of autobiography because I had like a swimming accident as a kid and then can't remember anything of the whole day. And as a result, I got a couple, I have two diagnoses here in my inbox that I'll get to in a second. But I also heard from uh, my mom who, unlike me, remembers these events and is apparently listening to Omnibus. Unlike you. Unlike me, remembers these events. And unlike you, listens to Omnibus. unlike me, listens to Omnibus. (laughs) Or indeed any podcasts. That's correct. But I don't think she listens to the addenda, so this is now the only safe space where I can say... Wait a minute, your folks don't listen to the addenda because they don't give it to the show? That's correct. Oh, my God. So this is the only safe space where I can talk about how they're bad tippers (laughs) because they don't even tip us, (laughs) so they can't listen to the addenda. Well, so what did your mom say? Oh, she, uh, she had more interesting stories about me waking up in the hospital and then... Like, this is what scared the hell out of her. Every time I woke up, I didn't remember what had happened waking up the last time. Oh. So I'd wake up and be like, hey, where am I? And she'd be like, well, you had an accident, you're in the hospital, blah, blah, blah. And then, they, you know, they move me to another room and I wake up again and I'm like, hey, what's going on? Like, where, where am I? She's like, you don't remember? you?" And I would ask the same stuff. I'd be like, you know, what happened? Um, I think I maybe, I, and each time I would have the same... It just shows how the human brain is just, free will is an illusion, basically. Because every time I'd wake up and say the same stuff, I'd be like, can you bring my Walkman? You know, I'd, I'd have all the same questions. 
Um, but, You're just tracing your way back. Well, this is very alarming for her because she's like, well, he's not getting better. Every day he wakes up and doesn't know where he is. Right. Um, Can but, you imagine? Yeah, no, the nightmare for a parent. That would suck. Of all the people in this story, I get off the best because yeah. I don't I don't remember any of it. The funny thing is I, I tell the story as if it only happened once because I only remember waking up once. It's the previous times that... Uh, How many times did she say you woke up? This, apparently this happened two or three times. Oh, no. And as a result, this is interesting. I heard from Shana, who has a background in neuropsychology, um, is a neuropsychologist, and she says she would not chalk this up to psychotraumatic dissociative amnesia. Okay. This is not me um, preferring not to remember this because it was such a bummer. This could actually be neurological. Like, if I drowned in a swimming pool, uh, my brain was lacking oxygen, and that is something that can cause big gaps in memory. Like, like the brain was too busy trying not to die to encode the events in long-term memory the way it normally would. Oh, and so it's actually an effect of the... Oh, the brain uh, prioritizes. Should I die or should I remember <laughs> where my Walkman is? I don't know if the brain should choose to die. That's not the most important thing it was doing. But her point is that she often hears from patients who are like, what's wrong with me? I'm nuts. Why don't I remember this bad thing that happened? And she was like, no, it's not that there's something wrong with your mental health that you can't dredge it out. Like the memories never got formed. Like now you're doing great. You just had a bad day where something bad happened. Huh. So the memories are literally not there. But a more interesting diagnosis, and this I think I don't believe. Well, I wouldn't, you know, say one diagnosis was more interesting than another. Nope, I'm grading them. All in, uh, diagnoses are equally interesting. Wow. If all diagnoses <laughs> are interesting, doesn't that mean none of them are? <laughs> ah, well, yes. Well, by interesting, I mean this is more out of left field. Like oh, Shana, okay. Shana's was very helpful, but Chris... Wants to know if I've ever been investigated for long QT syndrome type 1. You are a long cutie. <laughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think you have long cutie syndrome, John. I, do. I have more medium-sized cutie syndrome. <laughs> I did not even Google this, but according to Chris from Australia, it's a genetic syndrome that can trigger an irregular heartbeat, and it often gets triggered by swimming. So you'll just be happily living your life, and then you'll go for a dip, and that's when your heartbeat will stop. What? Really? <laughs> Um, and he, he wants me to know because, you know, what if my kids inherited it, et cetera, et cetera. It's a syndrome. Well, what does that mean? Is everything's a syndrome. But indeed. <laughs> you seem, of all the things about this, you're most concerned that it's a syndrome? <laughs> Long QT syndrome type one. Uh, wow. A lot of, uh, very technical stuff that I probably don't have a subscription to because of the awful way academic writing works. In our culture, LQTS, a heart signaling disorder that can cause fast chaotic arrhythmia. Oh. It's a result of some, it can be a result of drugs, mineral imbalances. It can cause faintings and seizures. My only question is does it diminish over time? Because I certainly swam prior to the day that uh, I uh, decided to drink part of the pool. Let's assume. And I've been swimming many times since. Sure. And I have not noticed my heart doing anything wacko. So, I mean, this says you'll notice it. It can be anytime you're excited, angry, or scared. It can happen during exercise. Things that startle you. For example, if your co-host's phone goes, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> uh, then all this stuff can cause seizures. Many people have their first episode by age 40. 
I feel like I'm in the clear. You don't think you have long cutie syndrome? Yeah, neurologists, cardiologists, please um, let me know if I should have this checked out. If I had one weird thing happen in my teens, but then nothing for 30 years, I'm good, right? Is this a thing where psychologists are cautioned not to diagnose historical figures, but cardiologists <laughs> are, it's fine to do? Well, uh, do I count as a historical figure? Shane, yeah. was, Shane was reaching out to me. Shana said, you might, you know, it's probably just a... No, you'll exist long trend. after we're all gone. There'll be a Ken Jennings card. But, but what I'm saying is during my lifetime, I'm a historical figure. Oh. Like hmm. today, you shouldn't be like, uh, Thomas Jefferson had ADHD, so it's not okay to shame him for slavery. Right. Um, but you can say but, but Ken dur- Jennings has, has long cutie syndrome? Well, what I'm saying is during his lifetime, oh. if you go up to Thomas Jefferson and say, hey, bud, you might have ADHD, that's not the, quite the same thing. Oh, maybe not. For one thing, it hadn't been invented yet, so you're... You're probably a, a right. time traveler, a futurist of some kind. Right. I am increasingly convinced that it's just been invented. ADHD? Yeah, I was talking to Merlin the other day, and he and I said, "Oh, sorry, I didn't, uh, I didn't send you a message about that thing that I did because I have ADHD." And he said, "Yeah, I'm sorry that I wrote you 15 texts about it because I have ADHD." <laughs> and I was like, "Wait a minute, we have opposite ADHDs. <laughs> I think you have a, I think you have HD, and I have AD." Yeah, there's the kind where you're, well, I mean, a lot of it is, what's the supervisory thing where you basically, what's the psychological term for can't get my shit together? Uh, Executive function. Executive function. That's what I was talking about. Yeah. This explains why my kids can't keep their room clean and why I can't ask them to. They they would be ableist. (laughs) I have tremendous attention deficit and he has tremendous hyperactivity disorder and we are constantly trying to communicate. Well, that's what I'm saying. I need to find somebody with the other kind of ADHD to come clean my kids' rooms. Yeah. So you need a hyperactive. Yes. When, When Merlin and I have an appointment at 11 and he writes me and says, can we, uh, push it to 11:30 and I say yes he'll send me a new calendar <laughs> invitation well i mean that could be a reflection on you 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 think this is a story about merlin <laughs> he thinks this is a story about how you can't remember anything for half an hour <sighs> entry 1293.2c0409 certificate number 22691 the tanhoa bridge uh, this puts you in the lead three to two. Yeah, everybody wants to talk about my shows. John shows. In this case, for a very personal reason. Oh. Um, do, do we have listeners who are Vietnam vets, or is our listener someone in Vietnam? This is a son of a, a Vietnam vet who um, lost his dad young enough that he never really got to hear his stories. Oh. Um, but he was stationed in... Ubon, is that right? As an F-4 fighter pilot in the 8th Tactical Fighter Wing of 1972, which apparently sets him up exactly to be part of the final Air Force attack on yes. the, what was it called? The Dragon's dragon's Teeth. Dragon's Jaw. Dragon's Jaw. Songma River. Um, he doesn't really, so unfortunately, he doesn't really have any color on this story, but... Um, but he knows his dad was there. Yeah, and it's something where he, uh, you know, he often will hear stories about Vietnam places where he knows his dad served or served near, and it'll be kind of be bittersweet because he'll be like, I bet those people have stories. So I guess if anybody listening has firsthand 8th Tactical Fighter Wing experience or Tan Hoa stories, um, let us know and we can put you in touch with Ben Bright, who would like to... Find out, more about, was there. Uh, find out more about his dad's time in Vietnam. F-4 pilot. Apparently so. Wow. 
I don't I know. Would, I, don't, I don't know enough about. Now I want to know if he was on. If he was on any of those sorties, that's got to be all written down somewhere. There's got to be documentation. Well, I wrote Ben back and said, "Hey, I hope you know someday you have the chance to run into a vet who, you know, who served with your dad, so you can hear some of those stories." Um, but the funny thing is, like, time goes by, yeah. and we're now we're now aging through the Vietnam generation, just like I think of as. You know, I think of that as like, oh, there's probably a ton of World War II vets out there. Well, there aren't. It's been, it's been, it's been almost eighty years since the war ended. So do the math. It's been seven hours and sixteen days. Is that Sinead O'Connor? <laughs> um, uh, but they have a reunion. The they they meet on the Tanhao Bridge. Oh, interesting. And uh, or at least they did once. See, the, if they'd been more successful, they couldn't do that. That's right. They uh, well, no, they ended up blowing it up. They just built it's it right again. Yeah. But you know, I think the the Vietnamese defenders and the American pilots like got together on the bridge and were like, you know, ha ha, we kept trying to blow this bridge up. Ha ha, we know. Uh, it, sucks. <laughs> it, was, it was a crazy time, crazy, <laughs> crazy time. <laughs> we remember we were here. Well, let us know if anybody thinks they might have known Ben's dad. Yeah, and I want to be looped in on the conversation so that I can learn too. Because I'm here to listen and learn. You're into stolen valor, basically. Uh, I'm I'm into hearing about other people's valor. I would never steal it. You want overheard valor. Is that okay? You know, I didn't, I was not going to call myself a Kentucky colonel until we got those certificates in the mail. And now I can do it. It's not stolen valor. It's actual valor that uh, that we earned. I still get things in the mail um, hoping I'll re-up. And I... I did last year. I guess I will again. Yeah. Uh, do you have the certificate framed and hanging uh, probably in your bedroom? Because I haven't seen it in the common areas. I think mine says Ken Wayne Jennings, which really should be my Kentucky colonel name, or at least my crazed assassin name. <laughs> Ken Wayne Jennings. He couldn't have made that shot. Entry 702.EZ0722. Certificate number 26056. The last train robbery. These were the two dudes that went west and inspired this is, this by. This is a Ken show, so we're back. We're back t- three to tied three. again. Yeah, they're inspired by what pulp westerns and maybe even early western movies. I can't remember. These guys go west and think they're going to become stagecoach robbers, and it doesn't go well for them. But may, perhaps not coincidentally, all the feedback we got back on this show was about the movies. Uh, we talked about Dances with Wolves as in a rare example of a, or a groundbreaking example of a Western from the point of view of the indigenous people. Well, it's really not. not really it's really a white, a white savior guy who, who gets to hang out with some Indians, right? right. And fall in love with a woman who's also a white person. Luckily. But speaks with an uh, Indian accent. But in 1991, that was very progressive. Yes. To even have some uh, non-evil uh, Plains Indians in your movie, I guess. Yes. I will uh, fight no more forever. But a listener named Kenneth reminds us of a movie I have not seen in years, and I wonder if you've seen it. Have you seen Little Big Man? Not in a long time. With Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman, right? Uh, not a, since the 80s. Dustin Hoffman it. in some kind of dodgy age makeup, but probably pretty good for for 73, whenever that movie came out. This was a, this was after he became a, a global superstar from um, Mrs. Robinson movie. As we call it, and uh, then that's, he, what, that's how it was released in Hong Kong and Iceland. <laughs> and Let's then, go see Mrs. Robinson movie. And then suddenly he was playing all these dramatic roles and became a a, a true movie star. 
Not just a sex symbol. <laughs> Not just a sex symbol. They wanted him for uh, Michael Corleone. I was just looking at a list of really? the people who might have played. The, the list he would be good at The that. list famously, have you seen this, has like Warren Beatty and Robert, Robert Redford on it. That would have been bad. You don't you don't see uh you don't see those guys as as Italian mafiosi? No. But I could see Dustin Hoffman. What a different movie that would be. They're probably a, he might be taller than Pacino, actually. Um Little Big Man is a fantastic movie. The it's kind of a it's a bit of a zelig kind of thing, as I remember it. It's based on a book by Thomas Berger, who is a fabulous, underrated comic American novelist, and I recommend anybody look up. I don't know how in print he is, but if you're in a used bookstore and there's a novel by Thomas Berger, you're gonna have a good time. Um, but he's a white kid raised by Plains Indians. Um, in real life or, or little big man. Is. No, sorry. Yeah. Dustin Hoffman, Dustin Hoffman in real life raised by. Little big man came out in 1970. Oh, wow. It's so older than I thought. Really early. The crazy thing is Arthur Penn made like that and Bonnie and Clyde and the miracle worker and a bunch, he directed a bunch of great movies and then had a few non hits in the eighties and then. It makes me want to watch Night Moves and his other output just because what happened to that guy? He did The Chase. Oh, yeah, The Chase with Steve McQueen and Ellie McGraw. Yeah. That's Alice's a, Restaurant. That's a really good movie, I think. But if you look at his output after, oh, you know what he it's did? a real drop-off. No, he became the executive producer of Law & Order. Junk, junk. Which probably made him a billion dollars. Didn't he do some famous... Did he direct The Missouri Breaks with um, yes. Marlon Brando? Yes. Yeah, I think he had a couple... Big budget non hits. Then had Jack Nicholson in it too. Anyway, if you remember Little Big Man, you know, the he's right. You know, it's kind of a proto dances with wolves where, you know, the kids' family are all, you know, the the sympathetic characters are all the the indigenous ones, you know, the the Indians that raise him, but then he keeps meeting all these awful settler types and they're all swindlers or con men of one kind or another, hypocrites, and I think Custer appears in it and he's you know, probably realistically just portrayed as a as sleaze. a nut job. Mm-hmm. Um, a sleaze or a nut job? You also, decide. So there we go. That's us recommending Little Big Man for some reason. But also during that show, I think you were asking what westerns would turn your uh, daughter on to watching westerns with you. Yes, and, and they said Little Big Man. <laughs> <laughs> the the Facebook page suggested a bunch, and I'm. Pretty skeptical of most of these, actually, because there's a lot of kind of late period colored John Ford movies that I don't know. Like, is she really going to watch The Searchers or The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance and get into? Weirdly, they suggested Jeremiah Johnson. Okay, all but, right, but not Butch and Sundance. Yeah, I feel like maybe Butch Cassidy's the way to go for a kid that age. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's long, but I think she would. It's in color and it's, you know, kind of, they read as good looking movie stars, which I think is not what you think when you watch John Wayne, honestly. It's funny too, or it's like lighthearted. It's a bit of a revisionist Western. Um, I, I, uh, what did I show her the other night? I, I made her watch a, like a really good movie and she watched it. She was a good sport. She was a good sport, yeah. But at the end, I was like, what'd you think? She was like, yeah, it was fine. But not, you know, didn't like really dive in. A couple of these recommendations I think would be pretty good. Shane, I think, might still play pretty well. Shane. Shane. It's got a POV for a kid. Right. It's about, it's got the mythos of the gunfighter and the evil, you know, the ranchers and the farmers and the evil outlaws. You know, it's got all that stuff. Yep. 
Um, but it's also got kind of the emotional attachment the kid has to the gunfighter. It's a, it's based on a family, which is pretty rare for any of these classic westerns. Also, I think the Coen Brothers' True Grit, which was suggested, would probably play better than that. So I thought about that because that's a pretty fun movie. It's also a young girl kind of who's got a lot of moxie. And there's not any there's not any sex or it's funny, right? It's it's mostly funny. He's a funny character and Labeef. <laughs> like I, I still laugh. Labeef. Well, I'm sure people are gonna <laughs> get mad at me for not loving the John Wayne Glenn Campbell one. But, yeah. But really Those I guys. don't I don't know how well that's gonna hold up. They're not very hip. Well, <laughs> You can always tell, you know, every Western's supposed to be in 1890, but you can always tell to within two years when it was actually shot, you know, <laughs> no. just by looking at 1957. The, something about the faces and the hairstyles. Although, all the kind of old Westerns I like, Red River, or My Darling Clementine, I just don't imagine putting my kids in front of two hours of black and white um, gunfights. I, don't, I just don't know how that would play. I did sit her down and... and uh, <laughs> Over a year ago, and and we watched High Noon, and my God, she was just like, she kept looking at me like, are you serious? And I'm like, no, 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 just keep watching. It's That movie's in real time, but it seems longer. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really good. And then about halfway through, I was like, oh my God, what have I done? Like, I'm, I'm really committed to watching this all the way through. Even her mother was like, "Are you? why are you making us do this? What kind of terrible person are you? I got people really bad last time I said I don't like High Noon, so. Well, it's just not a, it, it's not a movie to show to a room full of people that are afraid of spiders. Honestly, Rio Bravo will probably, you know, it's color. I just think all kids today should learn about Westerns the same way I did, which is just watching the Apple Dumpling Gang movies over and over on VHS. Yeah. Uh, Bill Bixby, to me, is the iconic Western hero. <laughs> the, um, and I showed her at the Apple D- Dumpling Gang number one, but then the later ones, I think the quality drops off. And the first <laughs> one's not very good either. We had an even worse 70s Disney Western on, in those puffy white VHS tapes when I was a kid called Hot Lead and Cold Feet. I remember that. It's got Jim Dale uh, from uh, Broadway actor Jim Dale, who's now the Harry Potter audiobook reader in the U.S. He's also in Pete's Dragon. He plays both a straight-laced Western preacher type and his no-good twin brother outlaw type. Real my, acting tour de force for him. My but. kid loves the the shows. She's watching uh, the Mysterious Benedict Society, which also has the lead actor plays like the kooky good guy and then the slick bad guy. When is that going to come back? Like... The kids would love, like, kids will go to see a movie if Harry Styles is in it. Why, why shouldn't Harry Styles be everybody in the movie? Harry Styles would be so good playing, like, the romantic lead and then also the evil villain. More, He's very talented. More evil twin movies. There, more evil twin movies. There hasn't been one since, what's it called? The Oh, this is a spoiler. There hasn't been one since the Prestige. Spoilers. I'll stand that. Entry 798.PR2303. Certificate number 24537. Modernist Cuisine. This one's very short. No, I'm going to make it long. Okay. Because this is your episode. <laughs> oh, so it's now true. You, I'm, I'm back in the lead. Yeah, you're Maybe you want now. this to be short so you can, you can come back here. Uh, you apparently at some point joked that Modernist Cuisine would be a good name for an indie rock band. Oh, my goodness. Is there one? Close. We heard from Henry in... Uh, Chicago. Uh, Chapel Hill. Upstate New York. Oh. Upstate New York. Not a sex cult, he says, but he has an indie rock band called New American Cuisine. That's pretty good. But that's more of a pop punk band. Do you like that as the name of a band, New, New American Cuisine? If you're a pop punk band, if everybody's wearing Stan Smith's 
and you <laughs> you play uh, hard, fast, and loud. But yeah, it's funny on a marquee. Do you think people would come by uh, asking for it to see a menu <laughs> tonight? Only new American cuisine. I wanted to talk about it because just last night I read a long magazine article that uh, that I saw on the Futurelings Facebook page. A link to a guy that uh, wrote a review of a Michelin-starred uh, modernist restaurant. I'm surprised we didn't talk about this during the show, because it was big news. Was it at the time? Yeah. Where he was like, this is the worst meal of my life, and let me tell you all about it. Yeah. It was uh, It was quite a ride. It was all terrible, and what's, worth it, what's worse, the portions were small. Portions were small, and also it was $200 a person. Yeah, that was a big hit. Was it at the time? I yeah. Didn't, I, I guess I missed it. It's a great article. But, you know, I think I feel like it's kind of – I think the thing he says is he he didn't know he was – he doesn't like that kind of food. The reviews led him to believe it was not that kind of precious performancey food, and then He kept referencing was. all these other reviews online where people were showing photographs of their food. Of and their actual like, food. This is a meal here. Wait, they this, got- guy got, <laughs> this guy got noodles. Entry 1229.ps11822. Certificate number 42504. The Stone of Scone. How did we say? We also said scone? Stone of Scone, because that makes sense, because it rhymes. Stone of Scone? And we, and we say uh, S-C-O-N-E is a scone. That's a, that's a treat that you would get at a French bakery or any coffee shop. Love a treat. But uh, maybe in Scotland they say the Stone of Scone. But well, that got yelled at, as per usual. Well, I got yelled at a million times online because I guess I told the story of Jacob and Esau in great detail, but I I swapped the names at the beginning of the story and oh, never recovered. Oh, come on, Ken. It's, it's actually a, the story of Esau and Jacob. It's a Bible story. You're the one on the show that's going to know. So uh, I just want to tell everyone I do know the difference between Jacob and Esau. What's the difference between Jacob and Esau? Esau's hairier. That's the only difference? That's the main difference. Imagine Harry Styles playing both of them. Okay. It just he wears he wears an amazing body merkin, body stocking merkin to play Esau. Let me start he, writing the script. He's one of our smoother uh, pop singers and movie stars, but oh. um, but you could just you could just hair him up. Uh, so just so everyone knows, I do know the difference between Jacob and Esau and who wrote Hebrews. Did you <laughs> did you know before you got yelled at, or do you only well, know? Well, I, I just didn't realize I was telling the story backwards. I see. It's, it was more of a uh, conversational uh, lacuna or or brain fart or something. Did anybody from your uh, from like any elders in your community write you and say yes. uh, we are very ashamed so, of you? Three stern men in chin beards. <laughs> Showed up at the door, and I've been uh, shunned. No, oh, no, not shunned. We also got this was my favorite response, uh, Brendan on Facebook. You know, we mentioned that the Stone of Schoon had been had been stolen. Yes, um, but Brendan, maybe Bre- Brendan's name Brendan McAleer. Is he actually Scottish? He sounds Scottish. I hope so because he's got Brendan McAleer. He says, you know, we kind of told it as a college prank because that's what it turned out to be. But at the time, it was considered high treason oh it happened on christmas eve he said and one of the you know it was kind of famously a botched thing because a policeman actually came upon the thieves in flagrante delicto or whatever it is when it's a stone yeah in stone with a hole in in petro delicto (laughs) but they distracted him from the they had the the stone sitting in the backseat of their ford anglia and they just kind of distracted him and they drove right through police cordons to Scotland and, and buried it in a field. The thieves held out for months, 
the way that they cracked the case, the police went to local libraries and found out who had been checking out books about the Stone of Scoon. No kidding. <laughs> That's pretty clever. And they decided not to prosecute in the end. If you, if you look at Scottish television and Irish television representations of British police, <laughs> you would not credit them with that kind of ingenuity. Turns out it's accurate. Uh, oh, the part where they let them through is that. Oh, that for the part sure. Where they, the part where they know where the library is, not so, not so likely. <laughs> <laughs> um, interestingly, they decided not to prosecute the thieves even after they apprehended them. Oh, because it was some kind of, it would have incited riots exactly. in Scotland. They didn't want to make them martyrs to any kind of Scottish nationalist cause. The best part, he says, and I'd never heard this. this they waited for Brexit to do that. <laughs> yeah, now they've got another opportunity. The stone was crudely repaired while in Scotland by a stonemason who had connections to, like, known Scottish nationalists. So the repair was done by a nationalist guy. And to this day, there are rumors that he put a hollow dowel inside it during the repair. Maybe this is wishful thinking. The dowel hollow because it contains a piece of paper with uh, Scottish nationalist slogans written upon it. The idea being that every every new monarch who has to set his backside thereupon is unknowingly immediately gets scabies. Yeah, immediately gets infected <laughs> Scottish with, with Scottish nationalists because they're just inches below it burns below the royal it arse. Burns. And the other thing that happened in this episode, I guess you know, since I got roasted for um, for misidentifying Jacob and Esau, very problematic. I did get quite a bit of credit because at some point in the show, I say that we talk about the uh, the coming coronation, and I just offhandedly say that Liz Truss will, you know, will not is not going to be prime minister for long. You did, you 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 dropped that, and we both laughed. The funny thing is, you know, now people are wondering because you know she did not last within a few weeks of that. We recorded the show on October fifth, and it turns out. So I'm looking back. It turns out that's pretty. Prophetic. I mean, her approval ratings were already in the toilet, but that does predate, for example, the lettuce, the Tesco lettuce versus right versus Liz Truss meme. When did the show air? Let's see. It was recorded on the fifth. I mean, one of the reasons why we're cutting down on shows next year is because we're so down to the bone. It came out less than a month later on November third. Not that long ago, and, and Liz Truss was yeah. What date? Liz Truss steps down. Oh, actually, it had already happened. She oh. stepped. She stepped down on October twentieth. So people are hearing a show where we say, Can't "This last. is going to happen soon." And sure enough, by the time it comes out, she's already an ex prime minister for three weeks. But for the record, it was October fifth. So we were we were two weeks before. And then the other, the great thing about uh, this note from Yale is that they ask if we knew about all the rumors and the tabloids about Liz Truss's. Uh, uh, subdom kink. Mm. I did not. I w- I did not either. Uh, Yale has sent us queer internet history before. Maybe related to what was it? Was it was the it was a queer take on? Was it Usenet? I can't remember what it was. But in this case, and and possibly I'm saying their name wrong, and I apologize. Uh, Yale. Yale. I don't think it's Yale. No. <laughs> Uh, there has been, she, uh, Liz Truss apparently often wears, I mean, for one thing, her name is Truss. Right. There it is. Just like Cole. But she often wears, I guess, this kind of gold chain necklace with a big O. And I guess in the story of O, that's like the symbol of, of ownership that the submissive partner wears. 
And oh, are you kidding me? It's a cock ring. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but I guess this has spawned a bunch of stories, including sourced ones about. And and she's well known for being. Uh, at one point, I think she left her insufficiently Tory husband for some for some conservative backbencher or something. That you know, there have been a bunch of. Uh, there's been a bunch of uh, s- stories, shall we say, about her. I don't want to say scandals, but about her relationships. Is she a goer? Does she go? Uh, and apparently some of this is the fact that, uh, you know, she may be demonstrating every time she wears her, her little neckwear that that's what is called a day collar. Interesting. And is a reminder that... Uh, a day collar. And that... Uh, I had, first I had to learn what a day collar was, and then I had to learn whether collar. or not Liz tried. <laughs> right? The night collar is the... Is right. the uh, but that's the idea that even out and about during the day, you have yeah. to show, hey, I don't... I don't take a step without whoever my that's right dominatrix or dominator is. What's the what's Dom. the male for of dominatrix? Yeah, just <laughs> dude, bro, daddy, guy with a riding crop. Um, yeah, right. Because you would want uh, when you're uh, when you were appearing on television, you would want to be signaling. You're always signaling. Yes, and what you know, and it's even the stakes are even higher if you're. You know, because that makes it even more fraud if you're in front of 50 million. Yeah, and you're like, British look, subjects. I'm, I'm wearing your ring, baby. Entry 539.jb1804, certificate number 25614. The Goodwill Moon Rocks. This is where you lose your lead. You're now uh, down 5 4, and I cut off the episode here. Just, you're way just, just to keep my lead. Oh, is this the end? Yeah, I think um, I don't know if we have mail on the next one yet. It's another one where Ken pulls out a victory right at the end. But I but I could skew it by by just choosing where I cut off the uh, the mail. Not compatible with Marxism, although that's really? totally compatible. Me, me with leading me leading five four is not compatible with Marxism. But if you win five four, it is. No, I'm just saying you being a, a uh, controlling the means of production. That's true. And saying, oh, that's, that's the end. Well, maybe if you can get together with your other co-hosts mm-hmm. and form a united front against capital, uh, then I'll have to recognize your demands. We got a couple responses to this show about the theft or disappearance of a bunch of priceless bits of lunar geology. I saw some really cool stuff on online. People, uh, you know, futurelings that live in foreign countries that <laughs> work in space agencies, uh, which you might be surprised to learn we have we have multiple of. Or, a, or at least people who went to the museum and had still had a photo on their phone. But we had a listener in Israel say that they thought they had yeah. tracked the moon rock down to a certain bureaucrat's desk, but they hadn't been able to get in. And then someone in Finland said the similar thing, that they, they, that they could see the building where they were convinced the Goodwill moon rock was out of their window, but they hadn't been inside yet. Somebody had a vague memory of going to a you know going to some kind of nondescript science museum and seeing it as a kid, and he was like, "I bet it's still there," and they just don't have stuff cataloged well. Right. You have to wonder how much of this is less theft and more shoddy, underpaid museum curation. I mean, for all I know, I have one in my house. It's the type of thing I would have bought at a thrift store. Oh, look at this! It's the Z- except that it's illegal to sell them. Zimbabwean uh, Goodwill Moon Rock. I'll buy that. Uh, when we talked about the you know, the geologists being brought in to try to turn these test pilots into interested geology students. Um, 
really, I only know about this from one place, and I kept it under my hat. But Justin outed me here. He wrote in and said, hey, you should watch the uh, the episode of Tom from Tom Hanks' From the Earth to the Moon that's exactly about this. And, of course, have you seen the Tom Hanks From the Earth to the Moon? No. It's good. How many space movies has Tom Hanks made? Well, it was him and Ron Howard right after – it was he and Ron Howard right after Apollo 13. They were like, we want to make more space movies. Prestige HBO miniseries about the Apollo program. Oh, but a bunch of little kind of... It was HBO. It's a bunch of, you know, each one is kind of a little sidelight. You know, there's actually a full episode that's about the making of, uh, is it the, it's not Georges Méliès. It's the Lumiere brothers, is that right? Or no, it's it's Georges Méliès who made From the Earth to the Moon. Right. Which has little or nothing to do with the Apollo program. And Justin points out that maybe it hasn't aged that well today. He's like, there's maybe one non-white guy on the whole show. Um, the only women are like grieving wives like there's one show about how the wives hang out and their little social club but you know you wouldn't probably make it that way today but um but there's a full episode that's kind of about the comic side of these guys having to learn to use a you know picks and hammers and stuff on the moon and how bored they are but then they get into it and i recommend from the earth to the moon it's pretty good and it's probably on hbo max I saw somebody yelling at us about Kennedy Space Center and Mission Control in Houston, and I was like... Wait, I didn't miss this. Well, I don't know. Because you said you went to the... You've been to two of them in Houston. I went to the Houston, and then I stopped by the Kennedy Center in Florida, but... and In in D.C.? uh, No, the other one. Were they giving you Kennedy Center honors? (laughs) You're like, it was me and Debbie Allen. It was great. The uh, no, the, was the, the Kennedy Space uh, Center, yeah, the in one in Florida, uh, Cocoa Beach. But I didn't go in. I didn't take the whole guided tour. I went into the sort of the area where you could see the rockets, but I didn't go. Yeah, in. there's a courtyard that has a bunch yeah, of rockets. I went into the point. courtyard. Uh, but this uh, this commenter, it's sometimes hard to tell with the futurelings whether they are saying "harumph harumph," you got it wrong, or whether that's just the way they write everything. And they're just saying, "I have a story." Yeah, but uh, but he made it sound like he was correcting me, and and I was thinking, well, he would have been correcting me because I'm the one who you. said I went there. But did is it just a replica? Maybe I said it. I don't know. Did you go to the Houston or the Florida one? Florida. Oh, okay. So, so they walk you through there, and there's a kind of a thing where they, you know, all the lights kind of turn on the way they would have for a regular launch, and then you hear a. Oh. I went to the Houston one, and maybe he thought that uh, that somehow we were conflating the two places. And maybe we did. Sometimes people yell at us on Facebook, and we don't even know what you're talking about. Probably most of the time. Yeah, that's right. It's okay. The lion's like when somebody's yelling at you on a bus. Most of the time, you don't know why. They're just kind of Neanderthals, Richard Nixon. Right. That's just kind of how I see Facebook. Uh, my favorite note came from Michael, who is a Patreon supporter and is therefore listening right now. Thank you, Michael. Um, who, when we mentioned this, the guy from the office of the inspector general who got super interested in tracking this stuff down, his ears perked up. He was a special agent with NASA's, he was a space cop. He was, he worked for the office of the inspector general from 2000 to 2004. Awesome, Michael. He was in their computer crimes division, which is mostly going after hackers and he, you know, so, you know, his biggest, his biggest case was, um, the arrest and the attempted extradition of Gary McKinnon, a Scottish hacker who basically I think was trying to get into NASA to look up 
to see if there was a UFO cover-up. Um, Theresa May, then Home Secretary, blocked his extradition to the U.S. in 2012. Um, but he's still persona non grata here. And that was Michael's case. Uh, he actually did get sent to Houston after the shuttle accident, after the, after the Columbia accident, to try to monitor area, anybody in the area trying to sell purported bits of Columbia, which mm -hmm. was then added to the forbidden list along with Apollo 1, Challenger, and Moon Rocks. Uh, he did spot something that popped up on eBay. But, but it was an obvious fraudster saying he had one of he had a bone of an astronaut, which so not just obvious but also in very poor taste. Um, when he was when NASA tracked him down, he claimed it was a practical joke. Oh, not funny. I'm not sure if that does that hold in court. Too soon, Your Honor. I was just <laughs> pranking them. Uh, but he, but Michael drew my attention to a case I had not even heard of, which is probably higher profile than the Goodwill ones, kind of. Uh, going missing, which is, and it spawned its own book and documentary even, there was a case of moon rock theft, like a million dollars in moon rocks. Really? Uh, went missing. Let's see, this is a 2002 story in the Houston Chronicle. Um, some rocks were missing in Houston, and they a Belgian rock hound tipped off authorities, hey, these, this group of people... These four people are trying to sell me moon rocks online. So there was a... Wow, it happened over the same weekend as the 33rd anniversary of the moon landing in 2002. They arrested these two these two men and two women in Orlando and Houston, respectively. They had been working as interns at the Johnson Space Center and apparently got their hands on some moon rocks and tried to sell them for... Seven figures online. Oh, it included actually a fragment of the Martian uh, meteorite that was the subject of that 90s era claim. Do you remember this? That it might contain evidence of microbial life. I think still controversial and maybe not a popular consensus anymore. But NASA announced, hey, this Mars, this, this um, meteorite that landed here came from Mars and these might be microbe fossils. They stole part of that. Uh, and... This was not Michael's case because he's mostly in the people looking at porn at work at NASA division. Um, but this was the big moon rock case from the early 2000s. Over on uh, – <clears throat> there is a there is a, uh, a person that is active within the omnibus and larger podcast universe, the All the Great Shows universe, uh, named uh, Miriam – El Nagar, and she is a astrobiological physiochemist. This is like a Starfleet person. Yeah, and she uh, posted on uh, on my Patreon. That's patreon.com slash John Roderick on the message board <laughs> over there. She posted some photographs from the Astro Materials Research and Exploration Science Lab where she had done some work as part of the Johnson Space Center, and she had a bunch of moon rocks, I guess, that she was monkeying with. Uh, but she did not try to resell them on eBay? No, as part of some monkey with moon rocks program she was a member of. And then, yeah, they get, they get uh, disadvantaged kids from all over America to come monkey with moon come rocks. Come monkey with moon rocks. 
And then a bunch of people chimed in and they were all geologists. And it turned into a thread of people like, I love geomorphology. And like every thread. Were you out of your, I was just out like, of your depth very quickly? Look, I love Discover Magazine and I read all the geology articles. But they, everybody was commenting on the fact that both you and I really loved geology when we took intro two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then <laughs> by the second quarter, we were like, no. I guess the Gary McKinnon case was some huge thing on both sides of the Atlantic where, you know, Sting and all these artists, Peter Gabriel, the there's Bob Geldof, a big charity concert to try to. If Sting was involved, I'm all on board, 100%. Did it? Oh, no, maybe a benefit concert was announced but never held. But these were all people who were on the record saying, even if this guy was hacking NASA, we should try him in the UK. We don't want to hand him over. Yeah. It's probably the rare time where you'll see Stephen Fry, <laughs> Boris Johnson, and Graham Nash all writing uh, all writing the same letters, the same angry letter. Chrissy I, Hind signed the petition, Julie Christie. I feel like I need to do an episode on Bob Geldof. Yeah, the kids today don't have good Geldof knowledge. No, he's such a central figure in such a weird little corner of the. Did we? Do we did. A, we did Live Aid or something. We did didn't Live we? Aid, yeah. Or, or do we, they know it's Christmas? We or did something. something about benefit concerts for sure. I bet it was during the. Uh, we must have done it during the Hands Across America. Episode. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. That's probably what it was. Anyway, Michael said actually McKinnon was not such a great hacker. He was very easy to catch. Huh. Humble brag. And he sent us a copy of a profile of him that ran in what appears to be maybe the Newport News Virginia Daily a profile of press Michael? Of him, Michael Milner. Yeah. I guess they do a behind the badge series because. Aren't they supposed to be secret? That? Hide behind their badge? No, you got to have. What are the papers for if not to have copaganda about. Copaganda. Did you just coin that? I absolutely did not. Oh, it's pretty good. <laughs> I like it. But this is a very fun article about how I used to watch. Um, Used to watch Steve McGarrett on Hawaii Five O as a kid. Made him want to be a, a cop, and now he's a NASA space hacker cop, which is that's so cool. The best kind of cop. You know the amazing thing about close. about the internet is just in the space that that between when I mentioned Bob Geldof and now, I have navigated to a picture of Geldof playing with Ditotenhosen. He's uh, wearing Ditotenhosen in the picture. <laughs> no, he's 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 in, in a, playing guitar in a concert with them. Which I would. I don't even know who that is. I would. What's a, I what's thought he a, was wearing a pair of Ditotenhosen. No, Ditotenhosen is uh, is a, like a like a German punk band, and they're huge there in the in Central and Eastern Europe. Ditotenhosen. Ditotenhosen. I like Merzy Dotes and Dozy Dotes, but I've never heard Ditotenhosen. <laughs> they're not really part of the Bob Geldof scene. <laughs> But, you know, <laughs> so many ways. maybe, I mean, who knows? Bob Geldof contains multitudes. We'll cover that in the Bob Geldof episode coming, coming soon. soon. So, Ken, what's going on with Esowit? I had a fun Esowit experience myself the other day. This is uh, something that's not going to air on American TV for a couple of weeks, but I'm hosting, I'm in L.A. to do some Jeopardy. Right now? Right now. Weird. No, I'm telling the story in the present tense like I'm a Ken Burns uh, oh, I see. character. So uh, so Jeb Stewart rides over the ridge, uh-huh. and he sees... I tell all my history stories in the present tense now. So you, but so now you're admitting that you are a, a historical figure. Uh, that's true. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in L.A. I'm hosting Jeopardy. Wait, was that in this show, the historical figure? Who knows? It, it all blends together. A callback to a thing you either said in this show or possibly in late December on Omnibus. Uh, 
And uh, during the second commercial break, I walk over and I take a little picture with the contestants and they get mailed that in a frame, I think. That's I, the thing you do. I have one with Alex. You always get one with the host. So now it's me or Mayim. But it's not a selfie. It's a, There's actually a formal photographer that does it. There's a still photographer. Well, I actually think it's not a still photographer. I think we do it with the video camera at high res and then we can take like the best frame where nobody's blinking. Right. It's a it's a TV magic thing we do. I still have my picture of Alex in a little Jeopardy frame. It's a you don't get riceroni anymore in game shows. You just get this. So I'm standing next to one of the contestants and he looks over at me and he says, "Hey, uh, I'm a big fan of Essewood." Oh. Which is a nice way to say I'm also a Patreon supporter. Yeah, slick. He thinks it's going to, you know, he thinks I'm going to you're going to add an extra zero to his totals. Cuz the host can do that. The host can be like, <laughs> "You rang in first, but hey, you in the middle, uh you listen to my podcast. So uh-huh. why don't you go ahead?" Um What percentage I, I thought of, that was very nice. of Jeopardy contestants now make some reference to Omnibus to you? It's happened a couple t- The thing is the host doesn't get that much FaceTime with the contestants for mostly for Reasons of security and standards and practices. Right. But there have been a couple times, either during the photo op or just in a commercial break. Well, when you say, hey, so tell us about yourself, they should say, I listen to your podcast <laughs> at omnibusproject.com it's, slash. It's not really a story about them, is it? Mostly well, I have to hear about their about their podcast. I know, but all those nerds, they struggle for something interesting to say. We've had some good stories. Yeah. Again, I don't want to spoil. A, there's. There's somebody coming up who it like I fell into a hole who has like a Hollywood golden age or like uh doing a freestyle rap about him. Again, this is something to look forward to when okay. the show airs in a few months. Is it Milton Burl? <laughs> <laughs> no, the stories about about him tend to get cut. Oh. But the story does have crotch grabbing. Okay. Um well I can't it, wait it, to see it. <laughs> <laughs> he sent me an article and apparently she grabs her crotch as she does the freestyle rap about him. Milton Burl couldn't do that. He needed a catcher's mitt. Wow. So Essowit uh, is a beloved figure here on Omnibus. I'm reading about his October updates. The thing is, now as I read the updates, often he's one of the older ones now. He was the cute little calf oh, no. when he's we a, started donating. He's a big uh, He's a big guy now. He's huh? not the little cute one anymore. He's just kind of one of the big bo- one of the, the older veterans on the uh, Sheldrick Wildlife Trust Elephant Reserve. Um. On October 15th, for example, it is interesting how Essowit, despite being a big bull and one of the oldest orphans, because most of it's the stuff about, you know, he and Bon Denny are having a quick sparring and a pushing game. Right. Or, um, you know, uh, he's in he's kind of in this clique of the older big boy group that's led by Nashashi, um, who's a female, by the way, very progressive, uh, uh-huh. very progressive herd. Um Essowit and Rojo just playing pushing games. But on the 15th, we hear that despite being one of the oldest orphans, he still sometimes sees himself as a baby and chooses to hang out with the little elephants. Oh, cute. At feeding times, the blanket babies, is that what they call them? Blanket babies. Do they still put blankets on the little ones? They always have their bottles first. Okay, I think this explains it. He is getting into the habit of demanding to be fed with them. Sure, he wants the sweet milk. It just means he wants to get fed first. it's It's not some... Second, you know, lost childhood he's mourning. So when does he grow up and and then he's no longer the star of the internet but gets booted out into the forest? Well, yeah, they, there can't be adult elephants at this. They must release them into a bigger sanctuary, right? Yeah, right. Or, or, or rehabilitate them such that they can be in the wild. Yes. Um, it also seems like Esu, it's more playful than the others because later in that update, 
Other times he challenges Lodo and tries to play a sparring game with him, but Lodo refuses to engage. When Bondani and Esowit try to get Saga Tesa into their spar- play fights, she is a s- serious girl who rebuffs their advances. And then this is a kind of a little editorializing I was surprised by, refusing to engage in such silliness. Oh, so yeah, I get that. Esowit's been uh, been a little bit of a of a prankster this whole time, and I bet the other elephants. Like, my daughter doesn't have a ton of patience for Esowit-style monkey business. on the playground. Yeah. She will walk away. Yeah. Yeah, I was very much that kid. Oh, this is cute. Esowit's stockade is a little is far, is a, a little bit distant from uh, his friends Bondeni and Tabu, who are closer together. So when his gate gets opened, he runs over to his friend's stables and waits impatiently for them to be let out. Well, see, that's fun. He knows the, the drill. But recently... Uh, they had a, you can go see Esowit. There were uh, some tourists coming through for their public viewing, but Esowit was in such a playful mood during the viewing that he started spraying dust all over the guests. And then he strolled around the rope cordon, ready to just meet the visitors face to face. But the keepers moved in quickly to calm him down as he's a powerful young bull who does not know his own strength. <laughs> so maybe this wasn't as fun as it seems in this description uh-huh. <laughs> that when he, when he wanders out to do some crowd work. <laughs> Anyway, this just reinforces my demand that I have to see Esowit before he gets too big released from the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust. And I, you know, if anybody is more knowledgeable than us about the age of the elephants there, let us know how much time I have before Esowit ages out. Because the elephants can live for decades, right? Yeah, long time. So I just want to make sure I, you know, I, 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 I missed my chance to see Elton John. I'm not going to miss my chance to see Esowit. You never saw Elton John. No. You went to the farewell show, right? I did, yeah. It was the only time I've seen him. See? I'm I've never seen Paul McCartney. <sighs> so many I've never seen Esowit. All the all the greats. We should go to the we should go to the uh Woodland Park Zoo sometime and get a picture with the elephants and then well, you know they don't have elephants, right? Send it off. They used to. They what, did. What happened to the elephants? The neighbors. There was kind of a too much trumpeting? No, it was just locals who were like no zoo should have elephants, Oh. which is kind of a, there's kind of a maybe division in the zoo community. Sure. Um, but it's really the hyenas that make you weep for them. Have you ever seen the hyenas at the Woodland Park Zoo? They're just, well, they, they're pacing back and forth. They dig a trench in the ground. Yeah. A lot of, even in nice enclosures, a lot of animals exhibit that behavior in captivity and it's a bummer. The they, elephants at Woodland Park always seemed very cheerful. I think they're out in a larger place somewhere in Omaha. Portland still has elephants, which means they just haven't had a citizens group yell at them there. The elephant enclosure in Seattle is now rhinos, which is pretty fun. Yeah. So we can go maybe pose with the rhinos and Photoshop it. Did I ever tell you my elephant at Woodland Park Zoo story? I don't know. It was years ago, probably 25 years ago. I was there with some friend and we were walking around and I had purchased a, um, what was that? Iced tea brand, Nestle. No, the the from back uh, east. uh, Snapple. uh, Was it Snapple? Yeah, Snapple. When Snapple was kind of new. Yeah, it was the fun new one in the jar. Yeah, Uh, and I bought a Snapple, and I had the little lid in my hand that was like a little. It had that pop clicker top, and I was. Uh, we walked over to the elephants and I was standing talking to her and we were kind of, the elephants were way across the uh, enclosure and I was making that little click, 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 click with the, with the lid. 
and the there were three elephants, and they turned and ran straight at us, just galloped all the way across the the dirt and came right over to the fence. And we were both like, <gasps> totally taken aback. And the biggest elephant came right up to the fence and stuck its trunk way out over until it was just inches from my face, you know, kind of waving its trunk. And and I was like, oh, and I and I lifted up the lid and I went click 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 click. And whatever it was they thought it was, they realized that it wasn't. That must have that must be like the signal to get them fed, right? Or the way they acted it was like something they remembered from childhood. Huh. It was such an incredible reaction. I mean, you know, there were there were handlers over by the barn where they had been standing that were like, what is happening? You know, you found I, some Proustian part of the elephant brain. Something from, you know, and as soon as as soon as this elephant that had its trunk in my face realized that I was not the sound it was not what, what they'd associated it with. Uh they went and blew a <laughs> snot right in, just like this elephant breath with all of this, uh, you know, kind of uh, spit. They spit in my face, basically, through their trunk. Because you had let them down. As, a, as just a gesture of total contempt for me with my clicker. I've <laughs> always wondered what that was about. It was, it was really cool. A weird moment, but like. I mean, it wasn't cool to get spit on by an elephant, but it was... Yeah, what kind of life hack is that? Hey, I found a secret way to get elephant <laughs> mucus all over myself. It's much better than your inefficient ways of getting elephant mucus all over yourself. But doing something that attracts the attention of elephants, like, you know, personal attention, it was really something. Dance like nobody's watching, but live like you want the attention of elephants. Yeah. And that concludes Omnibus Addenda, Volume 37. Futurelings, we thank you for your financial pledges that have made this monumental project possible. We hope that access to these important addenda items has validated your decision to support the Omnibus. It is vitally important that you attach these updates to the original recordings you discovered in their proper context for the convenience of future browsing by your civilization. We hope that our civilization survives long enough for us to provide you with future addenda to the Omnibus.